Praise the Lord, everyone. Uh, it is truly wonderful to be with Brother and Sister Wright and their family and all of you. We feel like we've been part of your lives for quite some time now. I don't know if there are any of you who were here the first time we came and did a marriage something. Anybody? Oh, praise the Lord. So this is a definitely relational church. We're in the right place. And uh, I love Brother and Sister Wright. It's been pretty wonderful to see their children grow up. I missed several years of their growing up. Um, the picture I remember of them is the one we saw at Sister Angie's 50th birthday celebration. I saw them then, and then suddenly, ta-da, they're all grown up. Okay. And they can speak English now, and <laughs> we can carry on conversations. So that's quite wonderful. And I didn't have to deal with any of the stuff in between. It was just like they were little, now they're not. Ta-da! Uh, it's probably best that way. I've gained two sons like that. Um, I had two girls, and then they got married. I didn't have to do any of the growing up with the boys. I could just spoil them and cook for them, and it's kind of nice. I want to turn your attention to a scripture. I've had two things going over in my mind, and if the first one doesn't work, I'll just switch gears and go to the second. And you can, It'll be like a buffet, and you can kind of pick through what you want. Um, somebody said to me, you know, if you've never had a picky eater in your home, my mother would have never cooked two different meals. For us, it was just like, that was never an option. Can I get a witness? Okay, yeah. Any of you making more than one meal besides me? Okay, I caved. It's just like, give the baby what the baby will eat. So I, I guess I have that mentality tonight. If you don't eat this, I'll get something else to see if I can whet your appetite. Since we are going to be discussing marriages, uh, my husband and I have lived what we teach. We were married fully 45 years, November the 4th last year and we're into our 46th year it's not been easy but it's been well worth I mean it's like it's the source of lots of wonderful things that you don't get if you keep switching partners every 10 years when things get tight you know what I mean and it's easy to cut and run when things get difficult but when you just hunker down and stay put and cannot that mentality work for so many situations, not just marriage. So uh, I think what I'm going to try to impart to you tonight is the benefit of staying connected, just staying connected. Your first marital relationship is really a soul one, and the, the intimacy that God longed and longs for is cast for us in the book of Genesis and completed for us in the book of Revelation. From the very beginning to the very end, this is a story about our creator's longing for intimacy and trying not to be overbearing but inviting us. What a journey. He has waited a long time for us to get here the people on whom all the ends of the earth have come. Because as all of these prophets and sages wrote book after book after book, they did not have the benefit of seeing all of them. 
from Genesis to Revelation. And now we read in the beginning and we can make connections and join thoughts from the first book to the last book. So Isaiah 11. We're going to break open the word of the Lord. And if you have notes available and paper and a pen, you might want to get that out. Otherwise, you're just welcome to listen and try to remember as best you can. Isaiah 11 and 1 says, There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. I want you to notice that right there. There is that relational thing. From one thing comes another. From the very beginning, it's been this way. From the very beginning, God spoke to the earth and said, bring forth. He spoke to the water and bring forth. said, bring forth. Out of one source comes something from it, and then they are connected in relationship. And in this scripture right here, God limited himself himself to the rules of relationship by saying, what I'm going to bring is going to come out of something that I already established. A rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, declaring that God was going to use the DNA of Abraham, his friend, to establish a human connection. There's a spiritual word being spoken and a human application. Did you hear that? Spoken, manifested. Spoken, demonstrated. That's how you know it's real, which is why James said, don't just hear, do. When the Lord said, be ye holy, for I am holy. That's not only a mandate, but it's speaking something into existence. Somebody's going to do it. Somebody is going to be truly separate and separated for consecration. A branch shall go, grow out of his roots, and this is what's going to happen in that relationship. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And here I'm going to speak on the seven spirits of God. Seven spirits. First spirit. Now, here's what's interesting. This is spiritual. This means like when the spirit of the Lord overshadowed Mary. Okay? We, we have no record of what that meant for her, how that was manifested. But we know it happened because there was a physical response. So the spirit and a response And we know in Genesis, the spirit of the Lord moved on the face of the waters. Now, there had to be some manifestation of that because otherwise it can't be noted. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, there came a sound like a rushing mighty wind. And the spirit of the Lord, tongues of fire, set upon each of them. They were filled and, now here comes the physical, began to speak with other tongues as the spirit, there's the marriage, spirit demonstration, as the spirit gave them utterance. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. All right, that's our first spirit. Everybody say the spirit of the Lord. Now, 
everything comes from that first thing. First spirit, now the next, the spirit of wisdom. Everybody say the spirit of wisdom. The spirit of understanding. The spirit of counsel. The spirit of might. The spirit of knowledge. And here's to sum it up. And the fear of the Lord. Now, I would have started with that one first. But this is listed last. Now, let me tell you the result of those seven spirits. Are you with me? We're in verse 3 now of Isaiah 11. And shall make him of quick understanding. When these seven spirits originating from the spirit of the Lord being the first, all these facets rest on him. He will have quick. That means he's going to perceive things quickly. In the fear of the Lord. In other words, he's going to make a direct connection to God. Direct connection. He's going to see the God connection in the things that he perceives or the absence of it. Now, folks, did you just hear that? It is one thing to see the implications of putting your money in the bank at 1% interest. And it's another thing to see that going here on the weekend is going to have an impact with your spiritual connection. You follow me? This said these seven spirits are going to make him sharp in the reverence so that he is going to be able to discern quickly how what I'm doing down here plays with what's going on up there. Did you hear what I said? It's going to make him sharp, not so that he's sharp on Thursday night and Sunday morning and Sunday night, but because he's connected, he's going to be very sharp on Monday and also very sharp on Friday. The location does not change the perception. Did you get that? He's not just sharp here. This, it's not because this is holy ground. It's because he's holy ground. So when he walks into a situation, all those seven spirits are operational. Now, what does this have to do with you and your marital relationships, employment relationships, familial relationships, all seven of these are necessary to navigate whatever relationship you're in. But the foundation of all the other six is this abiding reverence for God, heavenward. It is the one thing that limits everything else. It, it connects back to, it is the root of all behavior, not the love of the Lord, but the fear of the Lord, the reverence. And we're going to talk about that. I, I think that's kind of powerful. Now it says it'll make him quick of understanding in the fear of the Lord. And then suddenly guess what that segues into? He shall not judge by what he sees. Well, how do you make your judgment calls? Here's the difference in, in the garden and in the spirit of the Lord. 
She judged by what she saw. And they were perfect. But clearly, it's not enough to be in a perfect place and just judge the object. It's not enough. The fear of the Lord must be present so that you don't judge by what you see. Now you say, well, what does this have to do with me on a Thursday night? If you're in a marriage or you're a parent or you're a child, you have to be able to discern what your next step is going, what effect your next step is going to have on your relationships. You're at school. Is this going to be a good thing for me to do? What's going to pull me back? What people think about me? I've seen too many people who were more interested in the approval of people they were in church with than they were in the reverence toward the fear of God. They did not have an abiding principle within that said, it doesn't matter whether you think it's okay. This is not right for me. That reverence, that fear of God makes him quick of understanding. He won't judge after what he sees. Listen to this. Neither reprove. That means to correct after what he hears. So he may hear things. He may hear exactly what everybody else hears. But he also hears something else. And instead of making a snap judgment and a quick word coming out of his mouth, the spirit of the Lord holds him. Whoa. How would that help if you were a parent? How would that help if you are a parent? How does that help if you're married? How does that help if you're a child at home under the authority of believing or unbelieving parents? How does that help if you're working in a secular job and everybody else is shooting their mouths off and you're, you follow me? We need these. We need them. Say, I need this. Yes. And then he says, this is what he's going to do. With righteousness shall he judge the poor. Now, we are living in a society right now that if you are poor, if you are homeless, the judgment rendered for you is you need money, shelter, a place to live. You need help. I am going to help you. I know what you need. And Jesus said, the poor you have with you. You see, if all you do is judge by what you see, then you may give a $20 bill to an alcoholic and you're going to enable him to do more damage to himself. But when you have the spirit of the Lord, while everybody else is soothing their conscience, doing a quick fix, here you go, here's 20, never considering you just enabled a drug addict you just enabled an alcoholic because the cultural pressure is so great to judge by what you see in a certain scheme. Although we say do not judge a book by its cover, do you understand me? I didn't say this. This, he said, he's going to look at the poor and he's going to be righteous in his judgment. Did you know that the Bible says in the book of Exodus or Deuteronomy that when you are judging between a poor man and a rich man, do not change the law because the man is poor. Did you know that? Do not show partiality. That law is there for a reason. 
that's hard to me. I can tell you right now, I feel like everybody else. He's poor. The law doesn't apply. That's not what the Bible said. And the Bible said, you'll know it's the spirit of the Lord because he will judge the poor because that's what you see. Follow me? Immediately, your heart goes out, your hand goes out, and the word goes out. And he says, I'm going to judge what is right rather than what is expedient or visible. Reprove, that means correct, with equity for the meek. That means he will reprove on behalf of meek people, but he's not not just going to go, I'm going to stand up for you because you've been bullied. He said, I'm going to do that with equity. There's more than what appears in this situation. Could we use that right now in America? Lord, have mercy. Could we use people who know how to judge the poor with righteousness and reprove with equity the meek instead of just looking at everything face value, stamping something, and they're just watching everything fall apart? We need some people with the spirit of the Lord. Amen. Then he said, because he has these spirits, he's going to smite the earth but not with a gun. Smite the earth, but not with a whip. Smite the earth, but not with his fists. Smite the earth. Wow. What is his weapon in this scripture? What comes out of his mouth is so powerful that it would absolutely stop. Can you imagine that kind of authority being so schooled by the Spirit of God that the Word alone is sufficient? Well, I kind of think I understand how every knee is going to bow. I mean, one word from him. Do you remember what happened when they brought the woman taken in adultery? At all appearances, what did it look like? It's a stoning, right? I mean, did she actually do the deed? Yes. What did the law say about that? Stone. And now we've caught you, Jesus, because we know you're righteous. But he went beyond, again, what you see and what you hear And he got to the heart of the matter. He said, I did not come to destroy. I'm not trying. This woman is doing what she's doing. I don't want to kill her. I want to liberate her. I want to set her free from that behavior. So I, you can set me up, but I'm not going to take the bait because I see more than what you see. But then he didn't shame her. Find any place in that story where he made her confess anything. No shaming, no blaming, no naming. In fact, he didn't even make eye contact with her, did he? What did the Bible say he did when they brought her? He stooped on the ground and he began to write. 
He didn't even look at the, the men lined up. I don't even know how many there were of them. But I know they were young to old. And he just, he just kept his eyes down. And he said, whoever is without sin, throw the first rock. And I think he kept his head down. And you know what the Bible said they did? Because you know he loved them too. The Bible said from the eldest to the youngest, they went in birth order. The young ones evidently hadn't hadn't been bad enough yet. They were they were waiting for blood sport, I guess. And it took them that long to go, oh yeah, I remember. And in that way, without disintegrating all of those people on both sides of the issue, Jesus dismissed it. And then after they left, because he is law-abiding, what does the Bible say in the mouth of how many witnesses? So <clears throat> for this woman to be stoned, there had to be at least two people who witnessed to the event who were willing to stand, testify, and then strike. They were all dismissed, and he turned to her and said, where are your accusers? Now, he could have just said, look, they're gone, you leave. But he didn't do that because he needed, she needed a conversation with him. Do you see what I'm saying? This wasn't about clear the streets. This wasn't about shame the old men and the young men. This wasn't about... Just let the woman go free. This was a conversation. What we say from the beginning of the book to the end, God is interested in relationship. He had a conversation with her. Where are your accusers? And she said, there are none. And then he said the famous words, with righteousness for the poor, with equity for the meek. Do you think he smote the earth that day with his words? I think, I think he took the rocks right out of their hands. Buddy, you talk about de-escalating a situation. Don't you wish you knew how to de-escalate Spirit of the Lord. Spirit of the Lord. Seven spirits. And then it says, And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins. That's what keeps him. It's like that belt weightlifters use when they're pressing. And they have to have that belt to hold them steady and tight. And you know what's going to hold him? Doing right. Just keep doing right. He's never going to stop doing right. And faithfulness, just consistency. Now, so let's look. The Spirit of the Lord is the first one. It came upon men of the Old Testament, and they delivered Israel. I did a search on that. I can't tell you how many places in the Old Testament I would read. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. 
And the spirit of the Lord came upon and they would go do incredible things to deliver their people. And we're sitting here saying, oh God, if you would just deliver and you would deliver and you would deliver. And I feel like the Lord is saying back, if you would just let me fall on you, you would deliver. Because a lot of times people that need deliverance need to hear this. You will not be stoned when you walk into that church. You will not be criticized. You will not be judged. You will not be condemned. This is where you get free. That is deliverance. So we're praying, Lord, let the spirit of the Lord fall on me. That's what happened in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, Luke 4, 18 through 19, Jesus got up. In the synagogue and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. All right. Well, you can go around saying the spirit of the Lord is on me. Woo! The spirit, the spirit's on me. But the Lord said, I'll tell you how you know it's on me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to whom? The poor. Are you there with me? Let's go to Luke 4, 18. This is what Jesus said, quoting from Isaiah, Luke 4, 18. He got up and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Luke 4, 18, get it on your device. Because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He said, what the poor need is not resources thrown at them. They don't know how to manage it. They're poor. They're impoverished. They're not just poor here. They're poor here. And he said, I need to give them some good news. Poverty don't last always. He said, I need to make them rich here. This is where it counts. Right here is where it counts. Right here is where it counts. Better that you be poor in spirit and have the kingdom of God than you be like Laodicea, rich and increased with goods and impoverished. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because I'm not afraid to go tell poor people. I know what you need. You need more than a job. You need a God. I know what you need. You need more than a place to sleep. You need the good shepherd. You need somebody that can set you free from what's been keeping you in bondage and impoverished. And I'm not talking about prosperity gospel, y'all. I'm not talking about that. Jesus was a poor man, but he said, I have meat that you know not of. And the Bible said, well, how, what's a promise to a poor man? I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. You get under the umbrella of the spirit of God and it is written. My God shall supply all your need. That's to the poor people. Good news to the poor. Jesus said, that's how you know the Spirit's on me. I'm finding people who are poor, and I'm going to give them some good news. Then he said, not only that, he has sent me to heal. 
The spirit of the Lord is not to go ripping through and destroying and hurting and prophesying and proclaiming. He said, I need to walk into your home and heal who's broken hearted. He's getting at the source of the matter, not just the symptom. I know we're all about symptoms, but just because you're controlling the fever doesn't mean you healed the infection. But when the spirit of the Lord comes, when the spirit of the Lord comes, you're going to see the evidence. And you know how? He sent his word. Your words can heal. And if you have the spirit of the Lord and you have a child in rebellion, I recognize that you have to draw a line, but you can draw that line with equity. I recognize you have to behave with righteousness, but you can do what Jesus did for a woman who was really guilty. You can say, I'm not here to accuse. I want to take you out of the thing that could drag you down. I want to help you. I want to see you healed. And just because your kids are sitting here in church does not mean they are exempt from a personal encounter with God. They need the spirit of the Lord. He said, I'll tell you how else you know the spirit of the Lord has fallen on someone. You have the power to say, I'm going to tell you, you can be delivered. Because the spirit of the Lord is not daunted by poverty. It is not daunted by broken hearts. It is undaunted by people in captivity. You know how you know the spirit's not there? You don't have anything to say to somebody who's impoverished. You don't have anything to offer someone whose heart is broken. You don't have anything to say to the captives. And the people that are blind, you just kind of like, I'll pay for you to go get a set of glasses. I'm not talking about this kind of blindness. I'm talking about you don't understand. I don't have time to teach you. The Spirit of the Lord says, all you need is a quickening. That's how you know the Spirit of the Lord is there. God sends you into your own home like a beacon of light testifying goodness and deliverance and help and holiness oh would you just lift your hands right now God let the spirit of the Lord fall on us hallelujah 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 I need it Lord I need it my I, somebody in my house got to have it I need it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus said, and this is how you know, I'm going to set at liberty them that are bruised. I am going to set people free that have been coming to church for years, just bowed over. If I do it on the Sabbath day and he put priority right there, he said this whole synagogue thing was so people could get healed. Made everybody so mad by the way he did it. But he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Let's go to number two. Probably won't finish all this. The spirit of wisdom was the second one. He said, the spirit, it shall, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom. All right. I want to go to Ephesians 1, 17 and 18. Ephesians 1, 17 and 18. Is, am I hearing rain? Oh, thank God. It's like, like, dear Jesus, do y'all have boats here and paddles? 
<laughs> California has come to Maryland. Okay. Look at this. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, mm, may give you the spirit of wisdom. Have you ever asked the Lord for that? The spirit of wisdom and revelation. But how are you going to get it? Knowing him. So wisdom in the New Testament is a byproduct of your relationship with God. Wow. Why? Verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know you by yourself at home working on the job in the wee hours when you wake up that you might know no everybody say no i know that i know that i know that i know that you might know what is the hope of his calling so that that's going to anchor you and what the riches of his inheritance, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So the spirit of wisdom, the spirit, you know what wisdom is? I, I did motivational speaking. I'm just going to tell you, knowledge, and I talked about, knowledge is what, what you get out of a book. You can read that. And if you trust Google, you can. You can read Google. Have you learned that not everything on the Internet is true? Uh, you're wonderful. See, already you're just light years ahead of everybody else in this culture because they figure if it's on the Internet, yeah, it's true. Never see the little sponsored thing at the bottom or in teeny tiny letters, ad. You know, I found a new weight loss program. Never see any of it. But he said, this spirit of wisdom, and, and so knowledge you can read, but do you know how experience comes? These are the three levels, the richness. Knowledge, what you get in a book. Experience is when you practice what you know. That's called experience, right? And you know what wisdom is? What you've gleaned through years of experience. You know what the problem is with wisdom learned that way? It takes a lifetime to get it. By the time you get it. I can't wait for that. I got to have it now. I needed it 20 years ago. But the Bible said, that young man that wrote it said, I'm wiser than all my teachers because of your precepts. You can circumnavigate time. You can completely pole vault over time. And because you have the fear and reverence of God, even at 17, you can be wiser than the people that are teaching you English in school. Besides, they don't know what bathroom to use, and you do. That's right. 
We have some young women and young men in this room who know they are. Yes, they know they are. Let's go on. The spirit of understanding. Now, let me tell you something. If you don't have the spirit of the Lord, you can't have the spirit of wisdom. And wisdom is when you get a complicated situation thrown at you and you need the experience of several lifetimes like Solomon. I'm sure Solomon had children by the time two harlots came to him and said, that living child is mine. And everyone said, no, it's not. He's mine. And they told the story. And his first act of wisdom, he was still a young man when he did this. And he said, okay, you say it's yours and you say it's yours. Benaiah, come over here. Benaiah is the one he used. I was like, I, I wondered about Benaiah. He killed Joab. He killed, I mean, he walked right into church and Joab was holding on the horn. Nah, 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 you can't get me. He said, I'll slay you right here. Killed him right there in church. Benaiah, see this baby? Cut him in half. And I was praying and I said, Lord, I have enough sense to know what Solomon knew, but I didn't have enough sense to apply what Solomon knew. It was all there. It's like when you see somebody who has the patent to something that is so simple and they've made millions, and you're like, I could have thought of that. Yeah, but you didn't. You didn't, and you didn't patent it when you did. I could have thought of that. It was so obvious. He said, cut the child in half and give each half. And the woman whose child it was said, I beg you, don't do it. Let her have that baby. And he turned and said, give her the child. That's the mother. That's the power of wisdom. And you know what was saved there? A little boy, a mama, and all of Israel finally had hope. We have somebody who can see past what appears, who's not judging by what they hear. Hallelujah. God, give us the spirit of wisdom. Give us the spirit, Lord. Give us the spirit. Pour it out on us. We're the people of your name. We don't have to sit in church for six days and worship. We know how to get to you in 60 seconds. Hallelujah. Oh, clap your hands to the Lord. The spirit of understanding. Go to Proverbs 17 and 27. Now, here's where it gets relational. Well, all of that's relational, but this is important. He that hath knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. Everybody say knowledge. Spares his words. That means if you've learned anything, you have learned to shut up. Boy. Abraham Lincoln said, better that you keep your mouth shut and leave people in doubt as to whether or not you are a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. And a man of understanding has what kind of spirit? Excellent. Wow. Well, how do I practice to get this? We start with the spirit of the Lord. 
Lord, rest on me. My children need somebody who is wise and understanding. I need to be able to encourage my husband. I need to be able to encourage my pastor. The spirit of the Lord just does not rest and you walk around in a glow. Jesus said, you speak good news to poor people. You heal the brokenhearted. You deliver captives. And you set at liberty those that are bruised. You know what bruising is? It's internal bleeding. Which means there's a pressure somewhere constantly. You can't see it. But he said, I'm going to set you at liberty. There is something that is causing you to bleed internally. We see the marks. Don't try to cover the mark. Try to remove who's causing it. Try to remove the cause. He said, that's what the spirit of the Lord does. We need the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding. First, uh, the fourth one. Everybody say the spirit of counsel. Okay, now this is something. If you don't like counsel and you don't like people to give you counsel, I'm not sure that you can give it if you can't receive it. I'm not sure you can give it unless you receive it. There's more than just walking in and saying, Pastor, we're about to do da-da-da-da-da, and we just wanted you to know. It's like we're thinking about what do you think. The decision is not already made. When you model that with each other and your children, that spirit of counsel, all right, I want to go Psalm 16 and 7. Now listen to this. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. Well, if you don't have the spirit of the Lord, you don't have any sensitivity when the Lord is trying to counsel you. Do you understand? Because you, you have no, that's why the last one is the fear of the Lord. It's like, wait a minute. Lord, are you putting me in check? Did you send somebody to put me in check? Is my pastor putting me in check right now? Wait a minute. My employer said something. God, are you putting me in check? Can the Lord use people who are not filled with the Holy Ghost to put you in check? Would you say that again? Could I hear a resounding? Mm. Oh, well. I will bless the Lord who's given me counsel. My reins instruct me when? The night season. That means when I am at rest at night, the Lord begins to work on my will. Because God's given me counsel. He's going to help me do his will. Hebrews 6 and 17. Let me tell you how powerful the counsel of God is. Say, well, I got counsel from the Lord, but I'm not sure I'm going to follow it. Holy moly. Wherein God willing more abundantly to show to the heirs of the promise the immutability. That means once I give you counsel, you can count on it. Laodicea, I counsel you. I'm giving you counsel. You're rich. Hear my counsel. You need gold tried with fire. You need white raiment. And you need to put something on your eyes. I've just been praying, God, please let me have it. I need all of this. I need it. Say, I need it. This is not optional, folks. This is how we're going to navigate the 21st century before the trumpet sounds. I need the spirit of counsel. God's counsel is so solid. He said, I'm going to swear to it. 
So when you walk in having prayed, give me counsel, Lord, and you're going to the only source you know, I do this often. I say, God, my husband is also my pastor. I am asking you to speak through that man as if it is you. And I am going to act on what he says as if it is you talking to me. And if it is not, God, you're going to have to do something between now and the moment that I go and ask. Then when the word goes out, I don't go, uh, God swore by that with an oath. We don't even get to do that. But he did. And he said, you get a hold of my counsel. You follow my counsel. I will back up what I counseled you with all my power and might. Dear Lord, what a privilege to go and consult somebody that has the spirit of the Lord, knowing God's going to back up what he said. Hallelujah. I want you to lift your hands and thank the Lord. That is powerful. All right. The spirit of might. See, there are people that do their own will, so they never let anybody intersect that. That's not us. That can't be us. Not if we're going to do Isaiah 61. That can't be us. We can't go. The last person I go to is the pastor and his wife. And if I really want to do something and I know they don't want me to, I'm not going to ask them at all. How am I going to deliver my family? Ephesians 3.16, that he would grant you, Ephesians 3.16, that he would, Ephesians 3.16, what is the scripture? That he would grant you, look at that, this is a grant, this is me coming before God and saying, God, I need the spirit of might on me. According to the riches of his glory, how rich is God? To be strengthened with might in his spirit. Where? In my guts. Whatever trial I'm going through, there is a spirit of might that can fall on me. 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 Just me. By myself, me. From the Lord. That will say, girl, get up. You can handle this. It's the spirit that came over Samson and he said, God, come on me one more time. I'm going to take these pillars down. Because of my eyes. One more time. Brought the house down. That's the last thing he ever did. Was to bring the house down. We need this folks. You need it in your marriage. You need it in your parenting. We need it in our churches. We need this spirit. He said. And then Isaiah 40, 29, you say, but you don't know where I am. Nope, I don't, but I'm going to tell you what the Bible said. He gives power, Isaiah 40, 29. Anybody have it? What does he give? Isaiah 40, 29. He giveth. Who's he give it to? People on a Thursday night worn out from work. He gives power to the faint and to them that have no. He said, I know you're weak, but you came to me. You made me your first stop. 
You didn't go for a protein bar or an energy drink. You came to me and said, I know what's wrong with me. It's not just physical. I don't have the stamina to carry where we are right now, God. And and he said, you know what I'm going to do for you? I am going to increase your strength. (laughs) Whoa. Instead of being that person that says, if this happened to me, I'd just fall apart. You are the person that says, Jesus, you need help carrying that cross. I got you. I'll be Simon the Cyrene. I can help someone in church carry a heavy burden because you gave me strength. Hallelujah. And this is all about setting somebody else free. God, I want your spirit on me. I don't always want to be a victim. I want to be a victor. I want to conquer. I want to be more than a conqueror. The sixth one. The spirit of knowledge. Now, this blew my mind because as I was studying it, I heard the demon that attacked the seven sons of Siva say this. Paul, I know, and Jesus, I know, but who are you? God knows those in relationship with him, and so does his enemy. You know why? He listens to the words that come out of our mouth and he knows whether we are healing or destroying. The spirit, he knows people. He's been around us for a long time. He can tell where the spirit of the Lord is. In a hopeless situation, somebody filled with the spirit of the Lord will say, now just calm down right here. There's a way out of this. There's a way through this. They're not the ones that are hopeless, helpless, powerless. They're the ones that are saying, now, wait a minute. The spirit of the Lord is upon us. We can do this. Romans 14. Wait a minute. Romans 11.33. Somebody go there quickly. And if you get it, stand up and I want you to read it. Romans 11.33. And I'll holler it with you. I want you to hear the words in your mouth. Romans 11.33, we don't have to be. Is it up there? Look at this. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of and how and his ways past finding out. Say, I don't have any. James said, come to the Lord and ask him. I need a spirit of knowledge. And finally, there's one more scripture. Write this down. Romans 14, 15 says, I'm persuaded of you, brethren, that you're full of goodness, knowledge, and you are able to admonish one another. I don't mind you calling each other when trouble comes. But after you've heard the situation... When the spirit of the Lord and these spirits are on you, you can turn around with the spirit of counsel and say, you need to make an appointment to meet the pastor. You need to get yourself to your doctor right now. You need, what is that? Those spirits are working. Get up and take action through the power of the Holy Ghost. Instead of falling apart, we fall into God because he said, I got this. I've got it. I've got wherever you are. Finally, we can admonish one another. The spirit of the fear of the Lord. This was amazing to me. Second Kings 1739, he said, But the Lord your God you shall fear, and he'll deliver you 
out of the hand of all your enemies. That's today. He said, if you'll fear me, they'll be afraid of you. Not if you're afraid of them. He said, you fear me, they'll fear you. Then the last verse, Second Chronicles 19 and 7. Wherefore, now let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take heed and do it. There is no iniquity with the Lord our God, no respect of persons, nor taking of gifts. He's saying, I want you to fear me. And there's one scripture I didn't put up. Jesus said, let me tell you who you should be afraid of. He said, don't be afraid of those that can kill your body. He said, don't be afraid of them. Now, I tell you what, I want to live. And he said, don't be afraid of those people that can physically harm you. He said, let me tell you who you need to be afraid of. Who, after he has killed, can also throw into hell. That's who you need to be. And this was Jesus, God manifest in flesh. I think if people had the fear of God. And he said, do you know what the spirit of the Lord leads you to? The spirit where you start. It's so amazing to me because Jesus did not say Isaiah. He didn't say the day of vengeance. Did you notice that he left that out? He didn't say that. He said to set at liberty. He didn't talk about vengeance. But once the spirit of the Lord rests on you, my husband and I have worked in ministry 45 years. We started in it. And I have seen the real hand of God, real, the real thing. I have seen things. Do you know what it has put into me? Reverence, a great, great, fearsome reverence. An accountability that my mother and dad could have never put in me. It's with me day and night because it's real. I want you to bow your heads. Lord, we love this church, this congregation, these good people who come year after year, who have been in relationship with their pastors. They are a relational church. They have not budged. Many of them are here tonight who were here the first time we walked into this building. We're getting old together. We're moving in and out of others of each other's lives, watching their children grow, watching these children take their place, watching them become the pillars that their grandparents were. God, and we are at the end. We know we are. Our parents told us about this, and they are gone. They no longer carry the burden of the present like we do. Lord God, Jehovah, Jesus, we need the seven spirits. We need it in our marriages. We need it with our children, our grandchildren. We need the spirit of the Lord to fall on us and empower us to start speaking healing words, lifting words, loving words, delivering words, power words. We need the spirit of wisdom to know when things are leading the wrong direction. And the spirit of understanding when someone says something to hear the words and the longing and the need underneath it. 
We need to be able to understand the words that come across the pulpit rather than look at going to church as an opportunity to do tasks on our digital devices. We need the spirit of counsel, the willingness to both hear it and give it, the spirit of might, the ability to bear things that would be unbearable without you. Oh, my God. We need the spirit of knowledge. Oh, that I may know him, not just in the power of his resurrection, but in the fellowship of his sufferings. We're on a journey together, this church and us. We've been traveling together for more than 20 years, coming back again and again, measuring, coming in words. And finally, we need to recognize that when all is said and done, all of us are barefoot in your presence, and nobody can lift their head. Not even John on the Isle of Patmos was worthy to open the little book. I'm sure he went through a list of names. Surely Moses will stand up and open that little book. And he started weeping. All my heroes couldn't open that little book. And the angel said, don't cry. The lamb, the line of the tribe of Judah, can open the book. Would you lay your hand on your heart right now? Lord, open my heart. Open my mind. Open my emotions. Open my understanding, Jesus. Hariolomoshata. We just take a few minutes and pray wherever you are. Hallelujah. Just let the Holy Ghost talk to you. I know some of you won't be in this marriage seminar tomorrow, but I came with seven gifts. He said, if you'll ask, Lord, fall on us, rest on us, rest, just a resting spirit. Close your eyes and right where you are, you don't even have to stand. There's a cup of water. To quench your thirst and wash your feet. I see the shepherd here tonight. Anointing.
hands, Lord, take my feet, touch my heart, speak through me, take my hands, take my feet, touch my heart, rest on just going to ask you if you'll take your hands and touch your mouth, Lord. I don't want to be a weapon of mass destruction. Let the words that come out of my mouth be rooted in reverent fear. Wisdom, counsel, understanding, knowledge, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pitchers of silver. Oh, hallelujah. Forgive the words of my mouth that have not lifted, that haven't healed the broken heart, Lord. You gave me speech for a reason. Let every word that comes out of my mouth do some good to somebody. a hold of this. I don't think Jesus ever spoke an idle word. And I kind of feel like I need to repent for some of mine right now. If you'll join me, Lord, forgive me for words I've said that didn't do a bit of good to anybody. Oh, help me, Lord. Together we will walk until he comes. There's no foe that can defeat us. We're walking side by side as long as feel that in this very sweet moment, if you need a touch from the Lord, you need one of these spirits, or you need encouragement from the Holy Ghost, before you leave this building, I'm going to invite you to come to the front, and I already know what's going to happen. Some people on whom the Spirit of the Lord is are going to gather around you to encourage you and pray for you. Just going to open this altar right now. I know it's a Thursday night. That's our Bible study. You know what moves me about the church of Laodicea? 
He's the, that's the only church to whom he said, I'd like to come in and sit down and have supper with you. <laughs> I can't give you clothes. You've already got them. You already have a place to live, but you don't have any fellowship. I'd like to get to know you. I just feel the presence of the Lord here so strongly, so sweet. Lord, I just want to get a little bit closer to you. Here I am to worship. Here I am on a Thursday night. How sweet. How sweet to be close to you, Jesus. Spirit of the living God, fall on me, fall on me, refresh me, anointing. Just one. 
Your veil. 